Cicero said, what society does to its children, so will its children do to society. As parents, we have certain aspirations. We want our kids to know we love them. We want to be proud of them. We want them to grow, develop, and be happy. Maybe we want to overcome our own poor parenting or lack of parenting that we had as a child, and we want to be the change that we always hoped for. When you think of the question, how do you want your kids to describe you? What comes to mind? For me, I want my kids to say that I was an example of a growth mindset, constant learning, and improving and living a healthy life. I want them to say that I embodied what I taught and that my life was one of crescendo, not stopping, not getting stuck at any one point for too long. What about you? If you applied the funeral test, what would you want your kids to say about you at your funeral? I think as parents, this question and the answers that come from it can create a guiding force that propels us forward to become an evolved parent. Today's conversation takes us on the path of exploration into the question of what does it mean to be an evolved parent? Why are our early examples in life so important? And how do we overcome some poor parenting we may have received to become the best parent we can be? That's today on the Evolve Podcast. Welcome to the Evolve Podcast. Evolve your body, evolve your mind, evolve your soul, and evolve your tribe. And now it's time to disrupt. Welcome back to the Evolve Podcast, where evolved men and women come to disrupt, connect, and get inspired. Before we get started, I want to thank our sponsor, Med One Capital, for sponsoring the Evolve Podcast. We appreciate all the support. Med One Capital exists for the sole purpose of making medical equipment available to the healthcare industry. You can find more information at medonegroup.com. As always, joining us from the Mind Palace in Oberlin, Ohio, the most interesting man that I know is W. Miles Riley. Welcome, Miles. Thank you, Steve. Listen, I was listening to your introduction, and after you say what you said or said what you said, I'm going to call Johnny up and go, Johnny, tell me about your dad, and I want you to call Tiago. <laughs> I think that's a good trade-off. Yeah. I haven't talked to Tiago in a few months, so notes. it's a probably a good time to do that. Yeah. I need yeah, to check in and see notes. how you're doing. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. I'm not sure what he's going to say today because I woke him up and we had a conversation about making sure that he's getting up at the same time because school starts in just a few days. And so we've had the conversation of your bedtime and your rise time need to be pretty consistent. Otherwise, you're going to run into a brick wall when school starts. So that might be well, a uh, loaded question I, today. I just went through a moderate, slightly moderate hell with my son. <laughs> ah, we like slightly moderate hells. We're not so sure about full blown hell, but slightly moderate. Uh, he, he's too good of a kid. He'll never take me to full blown hell, but he should sure get his toe in there every once in a while. <laughs> nice, nice. Well, and somewhere in the mountains of Utah, I am Steve Cutler. Today's guest is my good friend, Scott Jones. Scott is a relationship expert, a licensed clinical mental health therapist, a public speaker, organizational consultant, and owner and director of Stillwater Academy. Scott has been working with adolescents and their families for over 25 years. He was the creator and director of Project Impact a community-based drug and alcohol treatment program for adjudicated youth in Georgia. With over 25 years of experience in the adolescent treatment industry, Scott understands that change requires risk and healing and can only happen in a safe and nurturing environment. 
Scott takes a strength-based approach relating to uh, and a relational approach to therapy and loves helping people discover their unique strengths and see their inherent value, oftentimes for the first time. Scott specializes in working with clients who have co-occurring issues that often occur with addiction, such as depression, anxiety, trauma, and attachment issues. Scott particularly enjoys working with clients who have experienced trauma and loss. And when not at work, Scott can be found on the soccer pitch, refereeing amateur, high school, college, semi-pro, and professional soccer. Or for those of you listening across the pond, football. He serves on the Utah State Soccer Referee Committee and loves mentoring up-and-coming referees. He enjoys golf, running, cycling, and anything that has to do with water and sand. Scott has completed several half marathons, loaded jaw, and the Salt to Saint cycling events. And for those who have not heard some of our other episodes, loaded jaw is a race that goes from Logan to Jackson. Look it up. It's not for the faint of heart. And neither is Salt to Saint. It basically goes from Salt Lake City all the way down to Las Vegas, right? Sin City? St. George. St. George. Oh, St. George. St. George, too. Okay, still not easy. Scott and his wife, Mikkel, are the proud parents of three amazing kids, three kid in-laws, and three grandchildren. Let's just keep it at threes. And his favorite title is Opa. Scott Jones, welcome to the Evolve Podcast. Thanks, Steve. That, that bio is way too long. It's too long. <laughs> No. <laughs> when you've been that? doing what you've been doing for so <laughs> long, the bio just tends to pick up more stuff. Uh, well, we're excited to have you, though. I mean, um, you've got a great background uh, in this space, and it's a conversation that I think you and I have had multiple times, and yeah. Miles and I have had more times than we can count. Uh, in fact, That's I was right. telling a client the other day about a conversation that I had with Miles. And he said, oh, is that a podcast episode? I said, no, that was just a phone call. Um, <laughs> we have the best podcast episodes that are never recorded through most of our phone calls, right? Yeah, we're like we're like the uh, proverbial jazz musicians where you hear about the best jazz comes from practice and rehearsals. Yeah. And mm. to actually perform and they're great performances, but they weren't like the practices. And nobody was there, or there was a small group that was there. So just believe us that if you're listening to this podcast and you say, wow, how could it get any better? Oh, believe me, it does. It just happens on the phone calls with Miles and I. Well, Scott, as we talked the other day, I, I had mentioned that I had sent a, a message to a few of my friends who are pretty passionate about being the best father they can be to their kids. Uh, so I wanted to start with a few questions and just talk about a few topics that they brought up. Does that sound good? Sounds great. Yeah, yeah. I, I like your your question there the first that you were in your intro. I love that. It's a great question. It's a pretty powerful question. I, I'd actually like to start there. So that that first question, when we think about as a parent, what would you want your kids to say? How do you want your kids to describe you? Why do you think that's such a powerful question? Well, it, because I don't think we think about it much, right? We, 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 we just get in the day-to-day -day grind of things and we're not very intentional about things. But when you stop and think about, you called it a funeral question, right? If, if you're at my funeral, how am I going to be remembered? Yeah. That takes some thought. I would, my wife and I talked about that the other night, you know, what, what do you want your parents to say? And it was interesting because we were different. We were pretty different. Some commonalities, but you know, things that are important to her, not necessarily the things that are important to me. And I think that's okay. Yeah, and definitely. It's a good, I, I feel like this conversation we're going to have today, Steve, I don't know where it's going to go exactly, but 
I it's I call it same boat therapy, right? Because we're all in the same boat. Mm. I've been doing this for a long time, but that doesn't mean <laughs> I have the answers. And so, so we're yeah, doing a little same boat therapy today. I like that. Um, I I think we've uh, oh, what's that TV show on Apple? I think we were joking about it one day uh, where Harrison Ford and Jason Siegel, they're counselors or psychologists and they, um, you know, you see them going and talking to each other, right? So yeah, even experts yeah. need to have these conversations with other people because we are all in that same boat. And so I yeah. think for anybody that's listening to this today, uh, I hope they take the, 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 the mindset of, Hey, I, I want to learn and grow but I'm also in the same boat as these guys uh, talking here. So let's talk about modeled behavior. You know, one of my friends, he said, I've really struggled as a parent to fight back against the bad modeled behavior that I experienced when I was growing up. And I imagine many of our listeners feel the same way. What would you tell a parent sure. who had what they thought was poor parenting as a child? Um. You know, there's a couple thoughts that I, my first thing would say is, yeah, me too. Everybody, we all had poor parenting. <laughs> <laughs> Every single one of us had poor parenting growing up, even if we have, you know, great parents with great skills, because there's no right. it's full contact sport parenting, right? And, yeah. and you, don't, you don't get a playbook. So the first thing I would do is just, you know, give yourself a little bit of grace in that, right? Okay. So you're recognizing some things that you don't want to repeat, or maybe you want to do different. Great. That is, that is a great place to start. And then the next place to go is, you know, give yourself some grace and probably give your parents a little grace because I, I really have a mantra that we do the best we can. People are doing mm. the best they know how to do. Yeah. And, you know, one of the things that I've loved about uh, our conversation, Steve, and, and even the whole uh, kind of theme of your podcast is, let's evolve, let's get better, let's get more skills, mm -hmm. you know? So if you recognize some things in your parents that you don't want to repeat, well, I, here's what I can guarantee. Yes, you will. Yes, you will. Unless yeah. you're real intentional about it, right? You need to learn some skills to do something different. Because what happens a lot of the time is I'm never going to do that. And so we swing to the opposite kind of you know, extreme, which is not always healthy either. So yeah. um, I, like I think, I think starting, starting with empathy, right? Yeah. 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 Starting with empathy, it's pretty powerful because if we, I mean, the reality is at a certain point, our kids are going to grow up and they're going to get to the point where they look back and say, well, I didn't like this. And what, what I've experienced just from observation is every kid experiences the parenting different, even if parents are trying to be fair, consistent, they all experience right. parenting different because the perspectives are different. And one of the things we've talked to our kids about is, you know, my, my oldest daughter, she had a completely different growing up than my son did because of their age difference. We were in a mm -hmm. completely different economic uh, structure at the time that my daughter was born. You know, we were still in college. We were uh, just basically living paycheck to paycheck and then as time changed, you know, we were able to acquire more things. And and my son just grew up in a totally different uh, scenario and situation. So I love the empathy yeah. piece. And that's something I can really resonate with as I look at my parents and, and the hard work that they put into raising us. But they continued to grow and evolve throughout their life and their parenting. And what a powerful 
starting point is just to say, all right, let's have a little bit of empathy to go uh, to, to build off of. And then you talked about how recognizing and then saying, yeah, you probably did. Great. Recognize that. Now what? Now what? And yeah. simplistically put, simplistically put, if I pointed my parents, they're going to point at their parents. Yeah. We're in turn right. going to point to their parents. And at no point in that pointing is there a book that some ancestor got on parenting. Right. So right. we just keep pointing. <laughs> We're going to point at the point. That's right. Like that. We th I talk a lot, you know, so I work with adolescents and their parents, but when I'm working with, you know, adolescents, we, we talk a lot about family systems, you know, a family is a system, mm -hmm. a system changes and evolves. And, and we talk a lot about that generational piece that you're talking about, Miles, you know, the, the idea that um, this isn't, you know, your, your behaviors, teenager that I'm talking to, the, this goes back generations. Right. This goes back generations and generations. You have a chance to change the tree. Right. You you can do something different about it right now. And and if you talking to the adolescents still, but this applies to parents, if 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 they can change the tree a little bit by by learning some better skills, um, having more awareness, doing some things differently, that's not only going to affect the tree, you know, beneath them, that goes backwards too. That's going to have an impact on parents. And, and so for, for your friend who's like, how do I, you know, how do I deal with this idea that my, my parents maybe weren't what I needed as he seeks to change or she or she seeks to change and be a better parent, it's also going to have an impact both ways. That's what I see over and over and over. Yeah. Things yeah. change. It's pretty powerful to think about how much our ancestry, the choices, the decisions that our ancestors made. And also to the biology, what, what DNA are they passing yeah. on? You know, I had a conversation with my, uh, one of my brothers one day and he, he asked me the question he said, Hey, did you realize that our great, great, great grandfather had committed suicide? And I said, yeah, it was pretty widely known. I mean, he was, he was a famous guy. He, uh, was the second governor of Utah, a very prominent banker and towards the tail end of his life. Uh, it was believed that he took his life through a self-inflicted gunshot wound. And he, my brother looked at me and says, I had no idea that was the case. Why have we never talked about this? I mean, you think about that, that this mental illness, um, whatever it is, you know, in any shape or form, has a tendency to get passed down through the DNA. And so he goes, why have we never talked about this? I said, well, I don't know. I, I guess I just knew it. You knew it. I thought everybody knew it. He goes, oh, we got to open up this conversation. We need to be talking about mental health and the importance of mental health. And if that is something where aspects of that are, are uh, genetically passed on, then this needs to be an open conversation. And we need to have those types of conversations and just be real about it. Uh, but yeah. far too often, those things aren't talked about. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Hey, you know, the other thing, we'll get into this probably more as, as we talk, but um, you need to drop the comparison game and, and your own shame, you know, mm. deal with that yeah. piece. Yeah. Great point. We're looking around. Comparing and it's so to easy others. to do. So yeah. easy to do, especially today, because um, we are, our lives are out there in the digital universe and yeah. whatever life we want to put out there for people to see and perceive how our life is, 
you know, we're seeing this highlight reel of people who are living what we would consider to be this ultimate life. And we're comparing their highlights to our lowlights. And that comparison just is, as the old saying goes, comparison is the thief of joy. Scott, how would a person start to overcome becoming a carbon copy of their parents and the challenges that maybe their parents have? Yeah, I think so. Once you have that empathy piece and, and you start dealing with your own shame, I think that you have to decide it, what you want to be as a parent, right? I, you talked about being in college and having your own daughter. You're just surviving. You're keeping your head above water at that right. point, right? Right. I don't know how much time you had. I was in the same boat. I, I didn't have a lot of time to decide what kind of parent I wanted to be mm-hmm. in those moments, right? Um, but but it's got to be intentional. So uh, getting help, <laughs> you know, um, and that to me, that's more than just going down to the local bookstore and, and getting a self-help book, but talking yeah. to professionals, getting your own therapy, doing your own work. I mean, I'm a I'm a therapist and I started doing my own therapy with my dad just as recently as 10 years ago. Wow. He passed that's away great. and it brought some stuff up and I thought, oh, I guess I have some stuff to work on. Um, so that never stops. I don't think that ever stops. But yeah. but I think being intentional, even so far as going to you know write it down, what do I want my kids to think about me, is a really powerful tool, and then and then keeping that somewhere where you're referring to it, it writing it down. I think that's a so that, that's a super powerful what thing. You, yeah, go ahead, Miles. Think um, it, it's interesting. I'm hearing this. Um, this is the first time I've ever processed it like this. If we're talking about raising human beings yeah. and doesn't the label parenting kind of diminish because we're talking about connecting and guiding and being guided by another person mm. you know our kids teach us just as much as we teach them yeah yeah and so it would seem like the whole idea of parenting just becomes this kind of boundary but if if we get after ourselves in in a way to communicate better to another human being that bleeds into all human beings i'm just speculating here i'm purely speculating and this is interesting well, I'm yeah, you're, you're, you're speaking my language miles because it's to me it's all about connection right obviously uh-huh. and and um that looks different when your kids are two than when your kids are 17. That looks a yeah. lot different. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And one of the hangups that parents fall into that I work with is they don't adjust. They might have been a great, yeah. you know, yeah. a great at that relationship piece when they're little. But now that the kid is have has some autonomy and, and needs to start pushing back, you know, a teenager's job is push back. That's what we, we want them to do that. We want them to kind of test the boundaries. The kids that test the boundaries and push back uh, in healthy ways, right? They they go on to be the most successful adults. We that's okay. Their job is to push. Our job as a parent is to be consistent, hold those boundaries, healthy boundaries, while keeping the connection. Number one, connection is is what it's all about. Absolutely. And yeah. this idea we use. You ever heard the word Ubuntu? Do you know Ubuntu? No. No. What is that? Right. So I can't. We don't have time. <laughs> You're gonna have to look it up. It's a way. It's a how way. Do, how do you spell it? So you uh, Ubuntu U B 
U-N-T-U. Okay. So it's so it's a it's an African word, um, but it it kind of is translated uh, "I am because we are." Oh, interesting. Powerful. And, and it's this idea. I mean, you kind of just said it, Miles. Like I'm, I am me because of my relationships. Yeah. Without those relationships, yeah. I'm a different person, right? So as a parent, if we're always trying to to be in that place where we're nurturing the relationship. And and doing that in a systematic way, that's really, really important. I think the connection piece is really important. And, and as you talked about, it's it's an ongoing evolution. I mean, I think about it was mm -hmm. it was easy when the kids were young to be a quote unquote great dad, because uh, all you had to do was uh, make jokes and fart noises and they were dying laughing. And I was the greatest dad in the world when I would do that. But then as they got older, it was a matter of finding ways to connect at the level that they were at. You know, I mean, um, for for my daughters, that was totally different than for my son. And now that my son is 17 years old, that's a totally different game, too. That connection piece is important. But I also yeah. like, Scott, how you're talking about holding a line. Our job is to hold a line of accountability. Our job is to make sure that we are as consistent as we can be because they do look towards that. That consistency is critical for their overall growth and development. Aside from not holding a line of consistency, what are some of the common pitfalls that you see when it comes to parenting? Yeah, that's such a good question. It's a bit, I want to answer it a little bit philosophically because um, I, I think that specific behaviors we do as parents come from deeper places, right? So really one of the biggest pitfalls I see parents fall into, and it looks different ways, but it has to do with worthiness. It just has to do with this idea hmm. that I'm enough. Interesting. You know, um, so as a parent, I'm enough. Uh, as a child, I'm enough. Um, but in, instead, we kind of, especially, you know, in our society, we have this idea of I, I will be enough when, I, you know, whatever that is, I get that promotion, I lose enough weight, I, whatever it is, I'm going to be worthy when. Um, and if we as parents are struggling with that, which we all do, remember, same boat therapy, yeah. we're all in the same yeah. boat, we all do this, um, it affects how we interact, and it affects kind of what we teach our kids about love and belonging. Mm. You talk about connection, Talk about love and belonging. You know, I, I saw, I saw a little thing on social media just this morning that said, um, the two things we want to pass on to our kids is is roots and wings. And I loved that. That's beautiful. Right. Yeah. You know, we want them to have roots that are deep, and they have a sense of identity, and they know who they are, and they can fly on their own. They don't, you know, they don't need us. They get to a point where they don't need us so much, and that's a great thing. But it starts with worthiness, yeah. right? So, so let me give you an example. If I, as a parent, um, if my worthiness comes from my kid liking me, like then, then that's going to affect the way I hold boundaries. It's going to affect the way I, I parent mm -hmm. in every way. Do you know yeah. what I mean by liking totally. me? Like, yeah. like I don't want my kid to be mad at me, um, because if my kid's mad at me, I'm, I have this sense of worthiness and shame you know the opposite of worthiness is shame when we don't feel worthy of love and belonging we feel shame 
which is different than guilt. You know, guilt is I made a mistake. Shame is I'm something wrong with me. Fundamentally, something's wrong. Fundamentally, right. something's wrong with me. Right. So when we when we operate from that sort of a place and we don't know it, usually we don't really understand it. That's going to translate into all sorts of parenting pitfalls. So mm. that that will look like, um, you know, not not being able to handle when our kid is not doing what we want them to do. And, you know, when that, that's as little as I'm not picking up my toys to I don't come home on a curfew. So if my kid is late for curfew, if inside that triggers some sort of shame, I'm not, you know, if my, if I was a good parent, we wouldn't be having these problems. Then, then that sets you up for a lot of failure. Right. Um, so it goes back to, we have to, we have to be working on ourselves and always evolving as parents and looking at where does my shame come from? And that probably comes from my parents <laughs> a little bit. Right. Um, and we pass that on in different ways. Like another example would be your four-year-old spills the milk and they're crying, they're upset. And, and you give them a really good message. You send them a message like, it's okay, honey. We, no problem. We all make mistakes. Let's clean yeah. it up together. I'm not mad. Yeah good message but then later on she sees you i don't know you you drop a glass while blowing the dishwasher and it shatters all over the ground and the words that you're saying out loud is how can i be so freaking stupid that, i can't mm. believe i do something that stupid we pass that on they 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 see what we do more than what we say you know pretty powerful so, yeah, that's so it powerful. starts with from a place of you know thinking about that that worthiness and and that to me really dovetails with the other thing that I I try to teach parents and and the kid the the teens I work with is uh, this idea of perfectionism this idea that mm. I have to do everything right all the time yeah. you know which is a lot different than healthy striving right. we want healthy right. striving right. But perfectionism is all about outside-in stuff. What will people think if they knew? Yeah. Um, and I can't tell you ego how, concept, right? Yeah. Rather than than uh, striving from just wanting to uh, genuinely improve as a human being. Yeah. Yeah. So if I if I'm coming from a place of um, you know of perfectionism, so I, I have to be, my worthiness comes from an outside source, what people think of me. So what my kids think of me, what my spouse thinks of me, what my neighbors think of me, what my friends on social media think of me, that's going to affect my parenting. That'll color everything I do. Um, and, and it does it in pretty insidious ways, right? It, you, um, I don't know, you, you'll, you'll say and do things differently than if you have an attitude of, um, I may not like what you're doing. I may not like your behavior and your behavior is unacceptable. We're going to talk about your behavior, but I love and accept you no matter what. Yeah. There's not anything you can do to ruin that. And, and sometimes we get, we get sideways with that message with our kids, you know, it also, I, it and, also sounds like, it, oh, I'm sorry. It also sounds like it sets you up for hypocrisy and contradiction because you're so busy sure. trying to be perfect. And that yeah, when you, when you when, as you said, they they watch what we do more than what we say. And so that if you are holding this ideal up of perfection and you're not achieving it, which you're not going to, 
and your kids see it, that's when they start to see chinks in your armor and and almost mm -hmm. this kind of this kind of uh, vapor lack of trust, like a mist. You know, it's not a, it's not a concrete thing that they're they're seeing it in a concrete way, but they don't have the language for it because they're kids. But they see mm -hmm. the hypocrisy and the contradiction. I guess. Yeah, that's a great point. I think you know, trust, honesty, and respect are the foundations of any relationship. And when you've got um, when you're not aligned with what you teach and then what you do, there's no trust there. And yeah. frankly, you're not being completely honest and you're not respecting the fact that we're all human. And so I think that, you know, when you think about that triad that creates this foundation for every relationship, yeah, I couldn't agree more. Yeah. It's pretty powerful to think about, you know, I, one of the things, uh, Scott, that we get criticized about with uh, Evolve and the Evolve podcast is that we talk about a lot of different topics. And I think what a lot of people miss is they say, well, you're supposed to just focus on one thing. And the people who say that are missing the whole point. Our philosophy has always been that when you evolve your body at a certain point, in order to evolve your body, to develop the body that you want to function well, you've got to challenge your mind. In order to then challenge your mind, you're going to reach some barriers that will be more soul level bar barriers. The mind can't go beyond that. You got to dig a little bit deeper and figure out uh, at the heart of you know who you are, what, what's banging around inside of my soul. And then as you do that, you naturally evolve your tribe. Because if you step into the role of leader in your family fully and completely with an evolved body, an evolved mind, and a more evolved soul, you naturally become a better parent. You naturally become a better leader. But if you just try and act the part, it, it, it resonates in a totally different way. Just like you were saying, spilled milk with the child, it's okay, honey. Broke a glass and they see you fall apart, well, they're going to follow the fall apart mom or the fall apart dad more than right. they're going to follow the kind mom or the kind dad that showed a little bit of compassion there. So I, I, I couldn't agree more with what you're talking about, that it's so important to work on ourselves first so that we can become more evolved parents. What other pitfalls do you see parents making? Um, you know, that. I see, I see these things and I, I really take a systemic approach to things. Right. And, and so specific pitfalls, I see kids that are parents using with their kids. And when I hate, when I'm working with adolescents, right. It's the stuff that they can see right through. Um, when we're manipulating them to get what we want, you know, getting back to shame, shame the, th the problem with shame is it really works. It's a great behavior modification tool. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Why are you so stupid? Why would you make a decision like that? you know, we've treated you do better, you know, those types of messages Yeah, gets short-term results. Always, um, always, but does. it doesn't, yeah. it doesn't help a, a person change behavior. Right. Um, so, so using shame talk versus kind of solution focused talk um, in our parenting is, is a big pitfall. Um, so give an example I, of that. I, 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 I think, yeah, pretty powerful. So what's the difference between shame talk and, and how did you describe it? Positive a solution focused, solution focused, talk, right? Yeah. So, so the, the way I think about it is, so think of a problem you're having with your kid. I don't know. Okay. What's one you guys struggle with? Anything come up? <laughs> well, so something came up. My cousin is glaring in my cousin because 
he he grew up in pretty dire circumstances and he ended up becoming a doctor, a pretty prominent doctor, a big house. And then his kids were coming up. He had three kids and he would always shame his kids about what he had because the, the kids, you know, growing up in a certain amount of affluence and luxury. And one of the things he always did with them is that when they did something wrong, I can't, you can't believe how I grew up and you guys have it made. And that's mm -hmm. how he used to try to shame them into be better behavior with whatever it is that they had done. Yeah. Yeah. Why, why aren't you grateful? You need to be grateful right. for this. Yeah. 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 That's a good example. I, I think that um, if you think about a behavioral issue uh, that might be happening that you're struggling, how do I deal with this with my child? One way to do it is to to assume that that's that's happening because what what do we say about troubled kids that they're they're unmotivated they're manipulative they're they're lazy they're oppositional all, all those things right and and if they're those things what are we going to do as a parent um, really the the reason they're not doing what they should be doing or they're doing too much of something they shouldn't be doing if we're looking at it from that frame of reference, then it's a motivational problem. Mm. Right. And yeah. if you have a motivational problem, what are you going to do? You're, you're going to motivate them. How do we motivate our kids as parents? We, you know, punishments and yeah. rewards, carrot and stick, <laughs> right? Yeah. Carrot and the stick. Um, so that's, if, if all you see is motivational problems, then all you can really use is carrot and sticks and carrot and stick parenting only lasts so long. Yeah. It doesn't Great it point. doesn't create change. If on the other hand you come from a framework of uh kids would if they could. We all would if we could. Right? Um if, if I have better skills, I I'm just doing the best I can. So it, I would choose to be happy. Why would anybody choose not to be happy, right? No one wakes up in the morning and said, I think I'll become, you know, a drug addict and be homeless today. Nobody yeah. does that. Right. Uh, we would choose to be happy. If something's getting in the way, then we have to, as parents, we got to help figure out what is getting in the way. So one way to do that is instead of seeing it as, oh, my kid has this problem. I don't know what to do. The problem's out here. Me and my kid don't have a problem. We're going to tackle the problem together. Oh, say that again for the people in the back. So, so, so the problem, whatever that is, let's put it over here. Yeah. That's the problem. It's external. I don't have a problem with between us because we have a relationship, right? Yeah. We are Love connected. That. So we're going to tackle this together. That is beautiful. What a great way to frame it. I think that that paradigm shift is, is seismic in nature. I mean, how many times yeah. do people, I, it, I've seen people just lose it at times over what they call a, a lack of respect. You're not doing this because you don't respect me, but it's not, it, mm -hmm. if child's doing something, it's not necessarily a lack of respect. I mean, a child doesn't have to obey every single thing that you say and do to show you respect. The problem is external. That That is so powerful. I hope people pick that one up. Yeah. And, and there's, uh, there's a way, you, you know, there's a way to do that. Um, that's real practical and it teaches skills, you know, instead of saying, um, you're always late for school, you mm -hmm. always sleep in and you're always late for school and I'm freaking sick of it. And if you're not in school on time tomorrow, I'm taking your phone. 
Okay, so that's a motivational problem. I'm going to motivate them by giving them a consequence that they don't like, right? Yeah. That'd be one way to approach it. Another way to approach it would be, hey, son, I've noticed, I've noticed that you're late to school a lot. Have you noticed that? Tell me about it. What's going on? And that puts the problem outside of your son, right? The problem is I'm late for school. I'm recognizing it. What do you recognize? And the hard thing as a parent to do is you ask that question is then you have to shut up yeah. and let them talk. Yeah. And, and they might not talk at first. They might say, yeah, I don't know. I don't want to talk to you, dad. But you keep working at it until you get to the point where they'll say, well, yeah, I'm, I hate getting up in the morning or I stay up all night doing homework or whatever it is. They will come up with their side of the problem. And it's a very zen-like heard... approach here. I mean, when yeah. you think about this, this is a, so this, you're talking about the conscious observer, you know, yes. rather than creating an identity for that person. If yeah. you're always sleeping in and you're always late, then you are a person who's always sleeping in and always late, and you will live up to that identity. But if you are becoming a conscious observer, what you're teaching your kids right here is just to become a conscious observer. Hey, I've noticed this. Hey, I've yes. seen this. What do you see? Yeah. A beautiful way to to to. And then you ask this. for solutions. Then you right. might say, "What? Well, right. Okay, here's what I notice. Here's how it affects me. Mm -hmm. I'm late for work. I'm worried yep. about you. Show you the know. impact. Right. We're observing." And then, and then you work on solutions together. And yeah. what we want to do as parents all the time is say, I have a good solution for you. Mm. <laughs> but we have to get them to give us solutions. And, and a lot of times, you know, you say, well, God, do you have any ideas what we could do? And they'll throw out an idea. It's a horrible idea. You know, well, how about I just don't go to school anymore? That would solve the problem. And, yeah. you know, what you have to do as a parent, whatever idea they throw out, you know, you, you just say, well, that's an idea. Can we yeah. think about it? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You don't say that's, that's the worst starting idea point. ever. Yeah. That's a starting point. Right. Yeah. And that really shifts that, that, that not, that does so many things. It shifts the problem from, it's not, I'm a problem kid. It's there's a problem behavior going on. It helps you keep the relationship intact and it teaches them so many skills. Totally. Skills yeah. they lack. Love it. It's uh, it, you're you're talking about a, a methodology that uh, I often teach when I go speak to organizations when it comes to coaching. And you know when you when you understand what the problem is, you identify the problem, and then you're talking about the impact, and you're asking for solutions. The number one question I get asked by leaders, and I I would say young leaders, but that's not necessarily the case. I mean, I've got executives that I've worked with that have been in leadership positions for a quarter of a century. And they say, what well, if I let somebody create their own plan, what if the plan sucks? They say, well, the idea isn't to let a sucky plan go out there. The idea is to say, what's your solution? Give me some ideas. And if they come back with some bad solutions, you just say, I appreciate the starting point. I think we're kind of in a brainstorming phase. So how about we continue to brainstorm until we find a solution that's going to work to meet all of the objectives we talked about? And yeah. that trains the brain to shift, right? Whatever, if you throw it yeah. out there that, hey, here are the objectives that we're going for, the thing you thought about might not fully be the solution. Now you're training your child to think and expand further. In fact, my kids uh, probably hate it, but it works. The question that I ask when I say, so what do you think? And and they go, well, I don't know. And I'll say, but if you did know, what would you what would you think? <laughs> and they're, well, it's a... Uh, and then every once in a while I get that, oh, dad, don't ask me that question. I said, but if, you, but you do know, 
if you thought about it in a different way and if you use your imagination. The funny thing is that that uh, I, I found about nine times out of 10, that question works extremely well. Or what's the Anchorman yeah. quote? Nine times out of 10, it works every time. <laughs> uh, you know what? I think it's paramount. You said something that's really interesting. And I think the second part of that equation, and this is a trust issue. I always say uh, the difference between men and women is when men get advice and they're resistant to it when they're alone, they really think about it. So when you, yeah. when you propose things like that to your kids, you have to trust enough that as they're laying around, then they'll start to think about the issue. Great and point. without resistance, they, start, they, they might start to play with the issue. And then all of a sudden you start to see solutions come up, but you gotta let them, you have to let them stew in it for a little while when you ask the question that you had just asked uh, Steve. Yeah, So yeah, I there's think, gotta be some time like to marinate. Progress. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Gotta be some time to marinate. Scott, yeah. when a parent asks that uh, or asks a question and talks about some of the solutions and a child brings up a solution, what would the next step be? Uh, so the, ne the next step is to, you got to have a solution that meets both of your needs. Okay. Right. That yep. That's the tough part. So you just keep going until their need is addressed and your need is addressed and you just don't give up until you get there. And that, that could take a long time. You're not, you maybe don't do that in a day, but um, we, we can't jump to uh, it's my way or the highway. Right. I, I tell parents and this, by the way, I didn't, uh, this doesn't come out of my brain necessarily. This is all, I love Ross green. I don't know if you've ever heard of Ross green, but no, I haven't. Um, he, he, he pioneered a lot of these concepts, but he suggests that, you know, we look at uh, things in three ways, um, pl plan A, plan B, and plan C. Plan A is whatever the problem is happening. If we're doing a plan A approach, that is, I'm imposing my will as a parent. Okay. It's just going to be my way. And there's times when that has to happen. So, you know, especially when we're talking about safety sure. and, yeah. and things, I'm, I'm not going to apply this collaborative approach when my four-year-old's running out into Redwood Road, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, so plan A is, that works sometimes. Um, plan C is we're going to drop it for now. And, and for now, we're going to drop it. We, we can't uh, solve every problem right now because relationship is the most important, right? Um, when, when my kid comes home late, curfew, uh, and and I'm hopping mad, and I'm ready to just lay into them. That's not the time to talk about it. Yeah. We're going to drop yeah. it for now. Yeah, right. We're going to address that sometime else. And if we don't address it, you know, right then or the next day, that's okay as long as we get back to it when we're in a better you know spot with each other. But Plan B is this kind of collaborative approach where. Uh, you know, we're going to, we're going to show empathy. We're going to put the problem outside of us. We're going to look for solutions. And then those solutions have to meet both our needs. And, and we're going to collaborate on that. And then we're going to follow through. Right. And I, you know, it's so simple. I, I was, uh, so I have three kids. My oldest uh, is a daughter and uh, she has two kids of her own and we were in Disneyland. That's, I know that's one of Steve's favorite places I heard recently. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, we were in Disneyland and you have a five-year, well, almost five, like a four-year-old and a two-year-old essentially. Right. 
grandma and grandpa, mom and dad, four-year-old, two-year-old. And we're on day three and they're doing pretty good. They're actually doing pretty good, these two kids. But there that sounds a, like a recipe for breakdowns for me. Yeah. I, I remember yeah, well, my kids, they get so tired. On, after you know the, the secret, day, right? the, the secret to a good Disneyland trip is bring the grandparents. That's the secret. Yeah, that's a good point. Good point. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, we finally had a meltdown, like an epic meltdown. And, and the four-year-old wanted root beer. The parents had said, we'll get root beer at lunch. We go to a place to eat, and this restaurant doesn't serve root beer. Oh, no. And so we're in a public place, and he is losing his mind, nice. right? Nice. My All my old parenting stuff is coming up, and I have literally, I'm, I've been doing this for 25 years, and I still have stupid thoughts like, oh, what do people think? I wonder if, pe man, if people knew I was a relationship expert and my grandson was acting like this, <laughs> what would they think? You know, I have all my own crap come That's up. That's great. Yeah. And 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 I would have, you know, 20 years ago, picked him up and taken him out and given him time to calm down. My daughter, I watched her take a breath, like physically go. And then she started saying things like, those are big feelings. Now, this is a four-year-old. It's not a 14-year-old. It's different, right? Yeah. yeah four-year-old, okay. those are big feelings. It's okay to have big feelings, but there's no root beer. Your feelings aren't going to change that. Ah, those are big feelings. If you can't control those feelings, it's okay. But we're going to go over here. She just stayed cool, calm, and collected in this storm. And, and eventually, they did take him out because he wouldn't calm down. Eventually, he calmed down. But when he calmed down, they immediately went into uh, that problem-solving kind of collaborative approach and got him to a place of, okay, we're going to find a place that has root beer, we're gonna, but we're going to do it after lunch. And he came back in and finished his lunch. Nice. And then grandma and grandpa spent the next three hours trying to find a place to get root beer. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently but, root but I was so... I was so enthralled. I was like, that's fantastic parenting. What a great, right? what know? a great example. Yeah. It goes back to and the last I, and I love that. learn from kids, uh, you know, yeah. our kids teach us and uh, bring things out. I think there's a, one of the important lessons there is when we talk about this, the psychological state, right? We, we've got trait psychology, we've got state psychology and the psychological state that you're in, in that moment, uh, you, yeah. you might be flooded with a lot of emotion. You may be, you know, starting to feel a sense of embarrassment or frustration and really being a leader as a parent dictates that you pause, that you understand what your emotion is. And then you ask the question, okay, so what, what am I going to do now? What, what am I going to do? So I may feel this way. I might feel frustrated or embarrassed or upset that my child is yelling and screaming about root beer. So what? What I'm going to do, I, I've seen over the years where when a child is upset and crying, then the parent takes it to another level. And now you have two people throwing tantrums. One's just larger and stands over the other one. And uh, yeah. in, I, that's always baffled me. Not to say I haven't lost my temper, right? I mean, I, I'm not, <laughs> I, I'm like you said, same boat. But my methodology, my approach was always to, to look at what was going on and to say, ah, okay, if we're heightened here, the only way to bring it down is to remain calm and to yeah. remain stoic and to remain, you know, in this position where we can eventually get to the point where we can have a conversation. 
Because if you match energy and you go even higher, well, you're just showing your kid what's supposed to happen when things don't go wrong or don't go right. They're having a tantrum over root beer. Now you're having a tantrum over them having a tantrum. Yes. Right? Yeah. So what an amazing example your daughter set. We we talk, I talk with parents all the time about when you're when your kid is having a storm, you have to remember that that storm is not about you. Yeah. They're just yeah, having a storm. Point. Yeah. But if you think it's directed towards you, then you might add to the storm, right? And now we have a class five hurricane going on. Yeah. But if it, they're just storming, that's yeah. okay. We can help them de-escalate that. They've got to be the eye yeah. in the storm, right? They've yep. got to be the calm. They've got to be the uh, the, the calmness uh, to, to bring the storm and the hurricane down. Yeah. Yeah. What a great example. I love how you talked about breath. Can you talk a little bit more about why breath is so important in those critical moments with kids? Yeah. Well, you know, bra breathing, obviously, we don't, none of us do it right most of the time. Yeah. I agree um, with that 100%. You, you, you preach that. And um, so when we take time to take a breath, that, that calms us down at a limbic level, right? Yeah. Even beneath consciousness, it, it, it tells us it's going to be okay. And it takes us out of that fight, flight, freeze response that is so easy to go into when we are stressed. Just breathing. Slow breathing through your nose, belly breathing can bring you down you know first responders do it all the time right navy seals do yeah. it all the time yeah they train themselves how to do it and they practice it they don't just do it when it's in crisis they practice it so so why not parents because it you know kind of we are first responders <laughs> as yeah. parents yeah i was having a client with or a conversation with a client one one day and uh we had a good relationship uh, to the point where I could say this, the, the client just kept telling me about the problems. I just don't know what to do. And I don't know what, and they, and she just kept going on and on. And I said, well, I, you know, we've talked about the importance of breath. Oh, I know, but I just don't know what to do. And I said, well, maybe if you just shut the hell up and you started breathing rather than talking about the problem, something would change. And she looks at me, she goes, oh yeah, I'm doing that. And so we went through some breathing. We went through some deep breathing, you know, belly chest, uh, order, and we're like you talked about it stimulates the limbic portion of the brain and uh you know stimulates the parasympathetic nervous system to bring us back down into a calm state after about 10 minutes i looked at her i said how do you feel oh i'm good any problems no i can handle them okay so if yeah. we just pause and we take some deep breaths it it de-escalates how we feel and then we set the example for the kids. What other tactics would you recommend for parents when they run into situations where children are reacting in a way that maybe the parent's not happy about? One of the things that I teach parents that I think is really important is this, uh, it's an acronym called ATTUNE. Okay. You're thinking about the acronym ATTUNE. Um, so stands for the so the a is attend and then turn towards understand non-defensively listen and empathize oh i like that okay so so attend right when 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 your kid is storming um how how do we be fully present how do we give them their un, our undivided attention mm. um that that means putting the cell phone down it means stepping away from the computer it mean it means doing whatever it takes 
um, to, to be fully present. I'm convinced that one of the reasons therapy works is simply because you have another human that is just attuning to you and your yeah. needs. You got an observer minutes. right there. Somebody yep. that's paying attention. Yeah. 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 So I, I agree. I don't think it has much to do with whatever theory they're using. I, I think it has to do with that main thing. And the best therapists are those that know how to just do that. Yeah. Right. So as parents learning how to kind of put our worries on the shelf for a minute and just be fully present for our kids, that that's huge. And it's really, really hard. It's super hard to do. It, it sets an example though. You know, I mean, yep. in our day and age, we're very rarely just fully present. I mean, how yeah. many times do you walk into a room and you see, I, I was going to say kids, but it's not even kids anymore. Like you go into a restaurant, you walk into a room and there's a group of people sitting around, friends, family, whatever. And every single one of them is on their own phone. No mm -hmm. interaction, no presence. They are in a million different directions, but they're not focused on each other. And they're some of them are texting there, each other. Right? The ones yeah. that are around the table. Right. That's the Sometimes. thing that always gets me. I'm like, what, what in the world's going on? But I, it, it's a powerful tool to just focus yeah. in, to just stay there and listen, to, to yeah. literally tune in. I mean, I think back to, I know I'm dating myself by quite a bit, but I know all of us, you know, talking today, get what I'm about to say. Radios, when I was a kid, you had a knob, you had a dial that you had to turn in order to get the radio station that you wanted. And so if I wanted to listen, go from one radio station to another radio station, that I would turn the knob and that would move the dial. And I was literally tuning in to that radio station. And in between there, you'd hear some static. And the way I've always envisioned tuning in and becoming attuned is that same way that in between being focused, there might be a little bit of static. And until I can get my full presence, my full focus there, I'm still going to have a little bit of static, but tuning in really allows us to capture what's, what's there. So yeah, absolutely love metaphor. that concept. I love that. It's a great metaphor. The turn towards is important too. And that that literally turning towards using our body language to physically. communicate safety and physically turning mm. towards making yeah. eye contact, yeah, um, getting on their level, right? I mean, I'm I'm six foot six. Mm -hmm. That my that's different for me than it is for you, Steve. No offense, yeah. right? No, I'm not six foot six. And yeah, you're not. You always look six. down upon me when we talk. <laughs> so <laughs> it, it means which most people do. I'm not a tall guy. <laughs> getting on the same level the you know the the teens i work with in treatment um obviously there's times when they become really de uh, escalated and and need somebody to help them calm down and and my first thing is using body language you know to not be too close not be too far mm. i'm mirroring and matching what they're doing yeah if they're way up here i may be coming a couple degrees lower but i'm quickly Kind of bringing my voice, my tenor, my tone down, my body language. I may come in kind of muscles tense. I'm quickly taking breaths, making sure because our our parasympathetic nervous system communicate with each other. Yeah. Right. Yep. And so that that helps to calm things down. Um, 
really quick the you know the understanding part we've talked a lot about that but just always having that question of what is it like to be you like i may think i know what it's like but trying to really understand where they're coming from is so important it's a pretty impactful piece when you ask a question of you know how do you see this from your perspective tell me what's alive in you how are you feeling right now when when you are experiencing this moment what is it what does that mean I'm experiencing a certain way. How are you experiencing it? So yeah. it, it, it's pretty impactful. I mean, I read something uh, probably two decades ago that I have held on to that the, um, I believe it was in one of Stephen Covey's writings where he said that aside from food, water, and shelter, that the number one need that all humans have is the need to be understood. And what, what, a, what a powerful, powerful, um, you know, lesson that is. Okay, so we've got the ATU of the Attune, right? Okay, yep. So so Anna's non-defensively listen. So all of these are pretty related, right? But yep. that that's separating, you know, our wants and needs from their wants and needs and just listening. And that's that's hard to do too. So we're not interrupting. We're not listening just to formulate our response. We're really listening and trying to, you know, do some reflective listening to them which then applies to the last step, which is empathy. How, how do we show empathy um, and, and try to take their perspective? Um, so, so I was thinking Scott, about this. Oh, yeah. Oh, go ahead. Going. Sorry. I, I was going to ask you a question example. about listening and, and getting triggered, okay, but we'll come it. back to that. Now, we'll, we'll, no, we'll, ask we'll, your question. So my question is, when people listen in a situation where maybe there's there, there's some current conflict, one of the most common things that I see is that when I ask a question, I'm asking a question and more often than not, I'm looking for a specific answer, right? Or I'm asking a question and if the other person says something that I don't like, I'm triggered. What would you recommend to people when going into a situation like this to not be triggered or to be aware of those triggers, to manage those triggers? Yeah, there's there's nothing wrong with being triggered. It's what we do with the trigger, right? Yeah. I and mean, we're gonna yeah. get triggered. And and one of the things I think we do sometimes is we try, we don't want to be triggered, and so um we will avoid situations so we don't get triggered, or if we are triggered, mm-hmm. then we feel like good we have point. to respond. But getting getting good at recognizing the trigger and kind of saying, you know, oh, there's a trigger, but it's not it doesn't have to control my behavior. It's just a thought. It's just a thought. It's not reality. It's just a thought. I can I can be present and listen to this other human's perspective, I right? Yeah, and and awesome. acknowledge that I'm triggered. I think I think that's really key. Um, I you know I, I, an example. I was thinking about this. I've shared this example before with people, but uh, so I have three kids. My middle son, um, when he was in middle school. Uh, he and I would battle over homework daily, right? It, it was just always a struggle getting him to sit and do some homework. And um, we were always in conflict about it. I felt bad about it. I knew he felt bad about it. And I started thinking in my head, well, he, I wonder if he's got some, some learning challenges or something that are undiagnosed. I don't know about. And, you know, I'm connected in the community. I took him to the most preeminent ADHD guru in the Valley and, this poor kid, he's in middle school, so I don't know what that makes him, maybe 11 or 12. He spends an entire Saturday doing testing. 
Mm. That's fun. We go back the next Saturday. I loved you for that. Yeah, I'm sure he did. Yeah. My wife and I go in to get the results and the doctor, uh, Dr. Goldstein says, you know, Scott, the good news is that you're an involved parent. You're trying to look for solutions and you realize that you might not have all the answers. And so you've come for help. The bad news is nothing wrong with your son. No learning difficulties there. This is all you. That's what he said. This is all you. <laughs> nice. And, you know, I had to look at that. I go, what does that mean? And and so applying these things, attune, turn towards, have empathy, non, non-defensively listen. What I kind of started to feel is, what's it like to be my son? Mm-hmm. You know, if, if he sees, oh, here comes dad again. I know he's going to ask about homework. So what I'm, I'm going to lie about homework because I don't want to deal with the dad. So I'm going to tell him I'm done, even though I'm not done. But then I'm going to find out he lied. So I'm going to be mad. And we're in this collusion that just goes around and around. So I only changed one thing. I made a commitment to myself. I wrote it down. I made a commitment that I was not going to bring up school, anything related to academics, until he and I had had some sort of a meaningful connection. Whether that's talking about the day or throwing a baseball or something. And if we didn't have a chance to have a meaningful connection that day, that just meant I couldn't bring up class. Even if I saw him watching TV and I knew he had homework and I knew he was going to fail his class, I couldn't bring it up. That's the only thing I changed. And and you know what happened is not only did the relationship improve, obviously, but he did fine in school. That's great. He didn't, he didn't have to run from me anymore. You know, he could, he could just manage it. And once I had a meaningful connection with him, then I felt like I could say, how's school? Do you need any help? What can I help you with? But since we had more connection, we could talk and he and he could ask for help. And I was happy to sit down and help. And it was a really powerful thing for me. And I've repeated that in my life in different ways since over and over and over. If I think about what's it like to be him or her when I'm around? That's what really I do doing the same thing. Yeah, that's pretty yeah. powerful. That's interesting. I had this a similar moment when trying to get through to my son when he was 14. And so what I did is I went and listened to all the music that I listened to when I was 14 just to get an idea <laughs> of, <laughs> of what that. my brain was going through at a similar age. <laughs> what did you listen that. to when you were that age? What's that? <laughs> what did you listen to? In 1972, oh, yeah. Earth, Wind, and Fire was out. Okay, okay. Um, Parliament Funkadelic. Ooh, nice. Um, the, the the jazz was what they called the GRP group. Okay. Which was Dave Grusin and all of that stuff. And then it was the tail end of Motown mm. and the beginning of Tamla, the spinners. So I just kept listening to that music just to try to get an idea of what I was not thinking, you know, because I was 14. And and just by having a glimpse of my 14-year-old brain, I kind of played with, okay, this is possibly what his 14-year-old brain is going through. So I might need to restate and revise how I'm going at him. I think that that, that empathy plays such a massive role in the openness. And Scott, you talked about this where yeah. that it, it provided the connection, but it also provided a space for your son mm-hmm. to be able to open up to you. You know, yeah. I, I I feel like, you know, it, all all things being equal, that my son and I have got a pretty good relationship. And one of the things that I, that 
causes me to say that is a recent conversation we had had where we're talking about finances and we're talking about, you know, what is, what is that going to look like? Uh, my wife and I have had to have uh, some conversations now just because the kids are older and we've got, you know, uh, a daughter that's 23, another daughter that's um, 18, almost 19, my son's 17. And so we're thinking through, okay, what does this look like? What does the transition from teen to adult look like? Cause mm -hmm. we hadn't really thought about it. We hadn't even had the conversations about it. And so at one point during the conversation, when I was talking to my son about what this looks like, what will mom and dad cover when, and when are you on your own? And there was one point where I said, okay, so tell me your thoughts. And he goes, yeah, that's fine. And they said, but okay, come on, this is you and me. I don't want fine. I want what's your real thought poke holes in our conversation because I'm not telling you that I'm coming to you with the perfect solution. I'm just coming to you with a solution, a idea. Um, how I grew up was totally different. You know, I mean, at 21 years old, I'm married and I'm cut off. Like that was it. So I said, we're in a different situation and we're just trying to figure it out. So tell me what your thought is. And he goes, well, I don't know. I guess as I think about it, this part doesn't seem completely fair. So I'm not sure about that. And and he brought up a couple of opposing points. I said, I appreciate you sharing that. That gives me some stuff to think about. Let me look into it. And we'll get back together. And so I looked into it. We sat down the next day or two days later, and I shared a different perspective with them and said, okay, now as I've looked into it, here's what, what the perspective is. And we got on the same page with a, uh, a shared solution that I, th I think we both felt uh, comfortable with. I, I, I believe that taking a step back and understanding who the uh, person on the other end is interacting with. And are we control, are we completely in control with that person? IE myself, right? It, it just, it breeds so much in terms of relational equity mm -hmm. that is so powerful. It, it, empathy cannot be understated, right? Yeah, Absolutely. I have a mantra I share with parents too. You know, the more connection, the less correction you're going to need. Oh, love that. Right. So those moments, like you're talking about with your son, those those moments I've had with with mine, those moments when you're connected, when when there's a mutual trust and respect and you're really hearing each other, the more frequently we're having those, the the less we have to correct. Yeah. It's just yeah. it's just what I've that's definitely seen over 25 years the the less connection we have the more we're in that correction place where we're mm -hmm. always trying to course correct them and course correct them and we don't feel like we have much influence so anything you can do to build that equity anything you can do it's worth it yeah and i think we have to realize that you know um it's important that people understand emotional bank account deposits equity in a relationship has to come from understanding what the currency is from the other person's perspective right mm -hmm. if we are not in a situation where we're making deposits that are impactful for them and we just think that that's what they like it's going to be less effective everyone has different currency and it's critical that we understand what each person's currency is my second daughter for instance her currency is time and we always have our little coffee dates together and we'll go sit and talk and I'll just say, so how's life? And we'll chat and she will just open up. And 
my oldest daughter, her currency is, believe it or not, like being able to solve problems. And so I'll say, hey, I got a challenge here, whether it's something in the home or I have this problem, can you help me solve it? And then she mm. just jumps right in, solves the problem. And now there's this connection because I can look at her and say, that was unbelievable. I can't believe how you thought that through. That was, your work on that was impeccable. Wow. And now we have more connection that way. Awesome. Well, Scott, we are, um, we're at, at the point where I don't even think we got through half of the questions that we had talked about uh, discussing today. And I think uh, you were pretty wise and pretty astute when we said, hey, this might need to be something that we split up into a couple of different episodes. And so if you're willing, I would love to have you come back and talk more about this concept of becoming a more evolved parent, because let's face it, our kids need it. And going back to what Cicero said, that what society does to its children, so will its children do to society. I believe this is a topic that we need to continue to uh, dive into. So can we get that you being said, for... we'll see you tomorrow. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I love it. I love it. Round two. Absolutely. I would awesome. love it. Well, I think we've covered some great topics that are going to help our listeners to evolve as parents. And uh, hey, listeners, round two is going to be coming up. Uh, I will get with Scott. We'll get it on the schedule. And we are going to bring you round two of this evolved parent. We're now going to call it a series. Maybe, Scott, we talk it through and it, it might be a three-part <laughs> series. I don't know. Uh, if you can stand talking to Miles and I for that long. I mean, you and I talk quite a bit during the week. So hopefully it's not too much. Uh, but some great topics there. Well, and on that note, folks, it is time for us to wrap up another episode of the Evolve podcast. Uh, Scott, what a great conversation. And we're so grateful that you came on today. Thanks for, yeah, for really, coming on, sharing really. your knowledge and wisdom with our listeners. Um, what's the best way for people to get in touch with you if they have questions or they are in need of your services? Or yeah, recommend a book. And recommend uh, a right. book of yeah. things that our viewers can take away. There you go. <laughs> Wow, so many books. You want me to? I'll, I'll send you my book. You can put it on your your uh, website. My book recommendation. Oh yeah, uh, we'll that'd put it perfect. in the show notes. That'd be great. Yeah, yeah, I'd love to do that. Uh, so get a hold of me uh, a couple ways. So the website for Stillwater Academy is, is stillwateracademy.org. You can get on there and kind of see all what we're all about. My personal email is scott.jones at stillwateracademy.org. Great. Well, perfect. Well, listeners, uh, make sure you reach out. Uh, you know, there's we we're going to talk about this in one of the next episodes where too often we think we can do things on our own. And, and for some reason, there's a stigma about reaching out and getting help and getting coaching, getting counseling, getting the, the, the thing you need. I would encourage you to reach out if anything has resonated with you today. Don't wait. Get some help, get some coaching. Well, Scott Jones, thank you once again for listening to uh, or, or jumping on and 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 sharing this with our listen, listeners. And hey, yeah, it was a pleasure having you. Yeah. Remember that it takes time and consistency to evolve, but first you have to disrupt. And now it's time for you to get out there and evolve. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Evolve Podcast. Follow us on your favorite podcast app. And if you haven't done so, please give us a rating. As an independent podcast, it really helps us get more reach. This podcast is part of our mission to help 
millions of people evolve into the best versions of themselves. Please check out our coaching services at evolve-cast.com or pick up some of our Evolve merch. Until next time, keep evolving.